0: We had many days where we would row as hard as we could and we would actually travel backwards. You know, mentally that is incredibly demoralizing and frustrating and, you know, if we were worrying about how long the journey was going to take us so that, you know, worrying about a a future, for example, that we don't really know what's going to happen in the future, um, I just kept myself in the moment and I just made a point to choose my attitude, not only every day, but every two hours I would choose my attitude.
1: Helping CEOs and business leaders discover the energy to perform exceptional brilliance and positively impact the lives of those around them. Be inspired by world leaders and next level gurus. This is the active CEO podcast where the ordinary don't belong. And now your hosts, Craig Johns and Ben Gathercole.
2: On this episode of the Active CEO Podcast, we get to speak with an incredibly resilient, tenacious, groundbreaking, and pioneering lady who has defined logic by purposefully losing sight of shore. Where most people reach their midlife crisis point, they decide to run a marathon, do a triathlon, or visit a new country. Not this young lady. She decided to row across the Pacific Ocean from San Francisco all the way to Cairns with three, plus two who would join her later in the adventure, other people she did not know. Yes, you heard that right. That's 257 days, or nine months at sea, covering 8,759 nautical miles with a stopover in Honolulu, Hawaii and Apia, Samoa. Known for her nomadic approach to life, she has now lived and worked in over 50 countries in the travel and tourism industries. From Tanzania to Peru, she has seen the world, but nothing like the beauty, power, isolation and serenity of the vastness of the Great Pacific Ocean. She is now an inspirational speaker, workshop facilitator and mindset coach continuing to travel the world and share her insights through the Eye of the Nomad. We are in for a real treat today, so settle in for the ride as I feel very privileged and energized to introduce and welcome you to our very special guest. Natalia Cohen. Natalia, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you very much Craig, it's wonderful to be here.
2: So before we delve into the Coxless crew and a life aboard Doris, I'm curious to know what it was like growing up in Hale Barnes, Cheshire in the UK and what inspired you, your adventurous, curious, pioneering way of life?
0: Um, I was actually born in South Africa, and I moved across to the UK when I was five years old. So, I don't know, suppo- supposedly that was the start of my adventurous life um, at that tender age of five. Um, life was really quite quite normal in, in Manchester. Um, I had a brother that I've got a very close relationship with and wonderfully supportive parents who just encouraged me to to explore my passions I suppose and just do things that that I loved and that's very much what I did and I found that my passions lay with sport and any type of physical activity so during my school life that's what I I got immersed in um, any type of sport, um, particularly tennis and swimming, seemed to be the most passionate ones that I, that I got involved with, and also dancing. So that became a, a huge passion as well. And I think, yeah, my childhood was just filled with with lots of activity, um, physical activity, that also then led to the discovery that our mind really can actually control almost everything in our lives. And that's what I found with sport, was that there was this incredible connection with the mind and the body. And that's really how how life began as a youngster in Hale.
2: So obviously you caught that travel bug at a very young age, so obviously travelling from South Africa through to England. So how did you get a start in the travel and tourism industry?
0: Yeah, travel was... Um, Something that that interested me after my university, I decided to spend a year in Australia um, on a working visa and that I suppose was my first taste of of ultimate freedom, I like to call it, Um, traveling to a place on my own on the other side of the world where if I liked a place I stayed, if I didn't like a place I left and it was just this wonderful independence that really gave me that travel bug. Um, I went back to the UK after that and got involved in working in London. And it was actually my mother that sent me an advert for a job that was, um, the, the brief of the job was, do you want to go to Egypt or Turkey and lead adventure tours? And there was something incredibly intriguing about that job advert. And I thought, yeah, I'd love to go to either Egypt or Turkey. I applied for the job. It was an adventure tour leader role. Uh, This was in the year 2000. And that really set about a whole decade and a half of of travel, really. So it was my parents that sent me away, essentially, (laughs) Um, with that interest in that job Um, and I started being adventure tour leader that took me to the Middle East to South America and I started leading adventure tours um, in different destinations and absolutely fell in love with travel different cultures different landscapes and that that wonderful um, ability to, to go into the unknown and find opportunity in the unknown. And I think that was the thing that excited me the most about travel was that you never really knew what was going to happen.
2: Isn't that fun? Like, you know, I've traveled the world a bit as well and, and lived in different countries, but that, as you say, that you never know what's going to happen, that unpredictability, uh, is there's, some, there's something about it that gets you excited inside, it gets the adrenaline flowing, isn't it?
0: Yeah, definitely. And and just that opportunity that something incredible might happen every day. And I think also the skills that you develop when you're you're heading into the unknown, you know, especially with travel um, and Mother Nature being as powerful as she is. You never really know what you're going to have to deal with. Um, and so I learned a lot of my life skills, I think, through being part of the of the travel industry, whether it was adaptability or flexibility, thinking on your feet, um, problem solving, I ran tours with um, a very broad range of clients um, coming from many different um, countries and different age ranges and backgrounds. So that ability to connect with different types of people as well and also as i was working with groups just understanding group dynamics which i found fascinating just knowing how different people are and how differently they can react to the same situations as well was also a a part of that journey that i loved and again helped me to delve a little bit deeper into the mind and the power of our minds
2: so talking about the power of the mind you know you've You've been taken to some of the most remote, secluded, and fascinating parts of the world. So, what were some of the biggest lessons you learned in those early
0: years? Um, I, th- I think it was again through through the the travel and the, the having to to be thrown into a situation where you're immersed in a very different culture. Um, different languages, the the unknown, being surrounded by quite a lot of alien situations. Um, I'd say one of the biggest lessons I learned was communication, effective communication, um, because I had to be able to communicate with this broad range of, of person, whether it was the client that was traveling with me or the locals and the destination that I was traveling through. And I think that communication was was one of the most important lessons. I think also um, trust, um, just trust in 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 what I was doing and the ability I had to to lead the groups um, in quite a lot of challenging situations. Occasionally, um, I've had to deal with hurricanes, um, forest fires. Um, rioting in in certain places um there was when i was in nepal actually i was there during the time that the royal nepalese family got massacred so that threw Kathmandu and and the locals in in that city into a huge amount of of turmoil so just having to to deal with that and making sure that the clients that were traveling with me were always safe there was quite a lot of pressure um so I think learning to, to manage my mind under stress, to remain calm in certain situations. And I think also when things are constantly going wrong around you when you're dealing with Mother Nature, and there's a lot of things that are actually out of your control, it was a really important les- lesson to appreciate that there are quite a lot of things in life that are out of our control. And we can only actually control the controllable. And I think that was my first, exploration into the fact that there are things that we can control and things that we can't control. And I think that helped to stand me in good stead for what was to come.
2: (laughs) So do you think that fear and that extreme pressure brought the best out of
0: you? Yeah, I I think knowing that I was responsible um, for a group of travellers really allowed me to to work on how I dealt with with stress. Um, I would quite often just take the time to stop and think about the situation, gain a a different perspective on what was happening before rushing in um, to try to deal with certain situations. And I think because when you're dealing with Mother Nature and you're in the travel industry and there are constantly challenges that are thrown up and come your way, the more you learn to deal with challenges, the, the better you get at dealing with them. So I think every tour and every new destination posed posed a new challenge for me. Um, and I was quite good at stopping and, and being quite self-aware on how I was dealing with the stress that came up in, in those situations. So that really helped, I think, and, and helped me grow as a person, I think. Because I think it's only when, when you deal with challenges that you actually learn and you grow and and I think it's all the challenges that life throws at you in, in whatever form they come where we do our most profound personal development um, so that's always how I looked as as at challenges was that this wonderful opportunity to grow
2: i think some of our our CEOs and leaders can take a lot out of that it's around <laughs> stopping you know take you know observe what's happening in front of you don't rush into it so you understand yeah. what you're getting into first. It's such an a, it's a powerful, um, I suppose, thing to have in your, your toolkit. So let's see the scene here. You, you're managing a remote safari eco-lodge in the Sadani National Park in Tanzania. I, I'm picturing giraffes popping their heads in the window at breakfast time, elephants playing in pools of mud, exotic and colorful birds singing in the treetops and Lauren's, lions roaring in the distance you're completing your contract and you see an advertisement to row across the Pacific what were you thinking
0: (laughs) the experience in Tanzania was absolutely incredible Um, I was the only female and the only non-local in a team of 30 when I headed into that challenge and I I think without a doubt it was one of the most rewarding experiences um, of my life actually and it was one of the only coastal national parks, so we could actually watch turtles hatching in the morning and then in the afternoon go into the into the bush and, and do your game drive. It was a really magical experience. And I think for me that the fact that it was the only um, coastal national park was really significant because I've always had this incredible draw and love of the ocean and water. I'm a Pisces so being in and around water is is really a place that I, I feel quite at home and, and at peace. So my contract in Tanzania came to an end and I went back to Cape Town where I was based at the time and yeah I saw this advert um, it was this woman, Laura, that was looking for teammates um, to to row across the Pacific. And originally, to be honest, I just thought, what a ridiculous thing to do. You know, (laughs) why would anybody want to do that? And because my work over the years has always been very contractual, um, friends always ask me what I'm doing next. That's the, the main question that I get asked. What are you doing next? What are you doing next? So, Almost as a joke, I started telling people that I was going to row across the Pacific. And after saying it a few times, I actually thought, well, actually, what's stopping me from rowing across the Pacific? Uh, apart from the fact that I've never rowed before. Um, so I went to a gym. I sat on a rowing machine uh, so I sat on an erg. I spent about an hour on 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 the rowing machine, and I I really liked the movement of it. I found it quite meditative, and I thought, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna apply for this. I've always had this love and this draw of the ocean. Um, I'd spent a couple of seasons before Tanzania, actually working on the super yachts. So I spent a bit of time in the ocean. I've done a bit of sailing. Um, I'd actually lost the sight of shore before. So I I knew that I loved being on the ocean. And I suppose a big part of me believed that this journey would always be a mental journey as opposed to it simply just being about the rowing. And so I, I applied and I never really, to be honest, in a million years thought that I would be accepted. And the rest really is history. Um, I got contacted. I moved back to the UK. I'd actually been out of the UK for 15 years with, with my traveling um, experiences and, and career in the industry. And I went back to the UK, and that's where I began the training for the expedition.
2: Wow. So a pretty amazing backstory there. And can you tell us a little bit around what Laura, you know, her, her vision for this was and, and how that came about? And then obviously the selection process and getting your head around such a mammoth task that you that faced you.
0: Yeah, definitely. So um, Laura had been involved with, with another team and then things happened and that team disbanded and Laura decided that she wanted to carry on driving the idea for this project forward. She's an absolutely amazing woman, very determined. Um, And so she put together this recruitment process uh, with the help of a a sports psychologist and a strength and conditioning coach. Um, She was actually a physiotherapist for the Paralympic team at the time. And the recruitment process, there was a couple of recruitment processes. I got involved during the second recruitment process. It was a series of interviews, individual and team interviews. We had strength and conditioning tests. Um, we were, were videoed. Our, our real reasons for wanting to do such a, an extreme expedition was, was delved into quite deeply with Keith Goddard, who was our sports psychologist that we worked with. And from the interview uh, process, 10 of us were chosen, and we were taken to an area in Wales uh, near the UK, which is an area that is actually renowned for um, the SAS, do a lot of work there training new recruits. So we actually worked with a company, they're all ex-military, and they gave us, um, we like to call it, a, a 24-hour bee sting on these hills in the Brecon Beacons, which is this place in, in Wales. And we were observed, um, we were given coordinates that we had to get to, we were each given um different sections of this walk that we had to do where we had to lead and get to certain coordinates. When we arrived at a certain checkpoint, we were given command tasks that we had to complete. So very similar to to military type of training. Uh, We were observed how we led, how we followed, how we supported one another, how we worked together. And it was from that 24 hour sleep deprivation exercise, really, to see how we dealt with stress, bad weather, being sleep deprived, it was from that, that the team was eventually chosen.
2: Sign me up, uh, <laughs> I love that sort of stuff. It's just got my, uh, oh golly, thoughts going 100 million miles an hour. So I'll come back into the moment here. So so you obviously know after those tests and that selection process that home for you, uh, not just then but in a few months, would be home for the next six months, which eventually turned out to be nine, was gonna be on a pink, one-ton boat, all of 29 feet long, that only catered for four female rowers. You know, what type of training then did you go through from both a physical, emotional, teamwork, logistical, and strategic point of view?
0: Yeah, um, I think the, the expedition was almost in two phases. So the first one was actually getting to the start line, which I think anyone who's involved in any large expedition will tell you that that generally speaking getting to the start line of the expedition is is almost the most challenging part of the challenge um so for us i mean we essentially had to set up our own company we we did everything ourselves um, the PR, the media, the marketing, the admin, the logistics, and then it was actually physical, practical, and mental training that we had to do. And we did all of this whilst holding down full-time jobs, which was what made everything actually seem so much more overwhelming than than really it, it, it should have been. Um, but that was, I think, also an interesting part of the journey. And again one that really helped us deal with the actual row that came later. So with regards to the the training, there was mental, physical, and practical. So the practical training, really, at the end of the day, you know, the last thing we wanted was to be four women on a pink boat needing to be rescued. So <laughs> we aligned ourselves with experts in every field. We were really lucky. We got a lot of our our training Um given to us pro bono, which was amazing, because this was a a very costly expedition, as well, as you can imagine. So we did see survival skills, capsized drills, 24-hour practice rows. Um, We each got very strict um, strength and conditioning programs that we went through with our coach. Um, It was all about prevention, I suppose, injury prevention more than anything else. Um, So that that was the practical training. and then the physical training, obviously, was the, the rowing and getting the technique of, of rowing down, um, and then also how to use a, a lot of the equipment on the boat, because you had to think about that. Um, the interesting part of the project that was that we all, we couldn't all know everything, because there was such a short amount of time that we had to get everything in place. And so we would each actually take different areas of the project to lead on, and we would become experts in those particular areas. Um, and then I would say that most of the, the training that we did was was mental training. And I think that this project, like almost everything in life, it, it it all comes from the mind. And I'd say that it was 90% mental strength that we needed to have for the expedition as opposed to the actual rowing, for example. So we carried on working very closely with Keith, our our sports psychologist, Um, lots of individual work, teamwork, We had to get to know each other inside out. We shared our hopes and our fears. We ran through every what if scenario you could think about. Conflict, obviously conflict management, conflict resolution. That was a huge part of this journey and appreciating and understanding how to deal with conflict when it would arise before getting on the boats. Learning to take constructive criticism, um, not to take it personally. Um, appreciating that we were very different people and different personalities. So the six of us as a team came together specifically for, for this road. So we didn't know each other and we were incredibly different people, different backgrounds, diverse personality types. So that learning how to work together, how to bring out the best in each other, understanding what brought out the worst in us, that was a huge part of the project and, um, So after every event that we had getting to the start line, we would sit down and we would give each other feedback. And we just got very used to giving each other that constructive feedback because obviously out there on the boat in the middle of nowhere, there's nowhere to run and nowhere to hide. So dealing with conflict, I think, was probably one of the most important parts of of how we had to prep ourselves really before we got onto the boat.
2: It's fascinating. You know, this would be, it's probably a very extreme team building exercise for a company, but yeah. we don't see them do enough work around that crisis management and coping with uh, when people are under pressure, when people have stresses in outside life that are coming in. Uh, it's, it's quite easy just to push it off when you're on dry land. When you're on that boat, you're in that confined space, you don't have a choice to step away.
0: No, no choice at all. Um, and also, you know, in in real life on land, if you're if you're having a bad day or, or someone's getting to you or, or stress of work or life is getting to you, there's something you can do. You can go for a walk. You can clear your head. You can go to the gym. You can power out that frustration. You can speak to a family member or a friend. You know, they're, they're really simple strategies that, or techniques that you can put in place to help you deal with the stress or or that internal dialogue whereas out there there was we were very limited on on what we could do so yeah knowing how to deal with one another and and how to let things go was a really important part of the process and i think also on, on a positive side of things as well you know obviously we had to be able to deal with conflict but also really knowing what each other's motivations were was really important as well and i think for a lot of people, you know, especially in companies, you have that shared vision or that common purpose. But it's also really important to know what individual motivations are for things. So, you know, for us out there um, on our row, we had our shared vision. We had our shared purpose. We we wanted to raise money and awareness for for two charities. You know, that was our our shared vision. Um overcoming adversity but we each had very personal motivations and that was something that needed to be shared so that we could actually know how to how to help motivate one another when times got tough out there as well. so it was I think that whole process getting to the start line was fascinating and and one that really stood me in good stead and I think has taught me a lot of invaluable skills that I keep with me today, actually. And this is even before we've got out onto the Pacific.
2: <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, um, you know, what was it like for the Coxless crew on day one? You know, you've, you were standing on the shores at San Francisco. Some had their families there. I believe yours weren't there. Mm-hmm. I can probably see, I can picture you right now just ready to jump off <laughs> And get going, whereas I'm sure some of the others are a little bit apprehensive. You know, what was that first day like, you know, when you're losing sight of shore, when you're leaving family, you're seeing whales for the first time and you're trying to settle into a new rhythm of life where you're working for two hours and then you're having two hours off.
0: Yeah, it was um, a a very surreal moment, I think. Um, So you're correct. Everyone, the other girls, um, had their family there. Um, I'd chosen not to. Um, I didn't necessarily want my parents to come out um, to see me off because I I just felt like it would be too emotional. Um, And so I had spent time a few days prior to our departure um, on a very lengthy Skype call with my family. So I, would got my emotions out of the way. Um, so when it was time for us to leave, I was actually feeling unbelievably calm. It was the strangest feeling. I was just, I felt ready. I felt calm. I felt ready. I mean, I don't know if you can ever really be ready for such a, a ridiculous experience, but, um, the other girls were quite emotional because their, their families were there. So there was tears and there was hugging and, and there was farewells. Um, so I, I felt like I was in quite a, a strong place mentally to be able to support the others as well, because I wasn't as emotional. And I think all of us to be, to be fair, we were very excited. You know, this was such an unusual experience. We were all Entering the unknown and we were all about to embrace the unknown in the most extreme way possible But we were all doing it together. So there was that sense of collaboration that sense of solidarity that sense of Excitement um, nervousness apprehension uh, that so many feelings and emotions wrapped up together And we headed out because of the the currents um, and the way the tide was working. We actually had to leave San Francisco uh, at about two in the morning. So it was under the cover of darkness. We rode out under the Golden Gate Bridge. Um, There was literally just our families there and Sarah, who was our our producer director for the documentary that we've had made. So a very small group of people seeing us off. And we just rode off into the darkness and... It was just bizarre. I don't think any of us could actually believe that we were finally doing it. Um, It was interesting. I think four hours into the journey, um, I was partnered with Laura and it it was dark. And she turned around to me and she said, can you see the pirate ship?
1: (laughs) And she she
0: could see this old-fashioned wooden pirate ship sailing next to us. And I was like, what is she talking about? And that was actually the beginning of hallucinations that Laura so quick started to experience um, throughout throughout the nine months. And we very quickly got into this pattern. So you touched on it briefly, but just to explain um, to the listeners. So we rode into our shifts two hours on, two hours off, 24 hours a day. And we rode in pairs and we would rotate those rowing pairs every five to seven days. And it was incredible how quickly we got into a rhythm and into a routine. It was something that we'd prepared for. So we'd actually done a a 48 hour practice row prior to to heading out on the journey, just so that we could get our um, routines in place. Um, but nothing can really prepare you for the, for the open seas. And, um, for the first 24 hours, to be honest, everything was, was wonderful. And we were excited and we were getting into our routine and, and everything was amazing. And, and then just unfortunately for us, it was, it was very soon after that, that we hit bad weather, um, and that was when everything started happening. So rough seas. Um, we got the end of a, a tropical storm, and I think we were we were tested and challenged straight um, straight out of of leaving San Francisco. Um, so seasickness started to set in, and you know, if, for any of you out there that have ever felt any kind of seasickness, it's incredibly debilitating. And trying to do anything when when you can't escape that that nauseous feeling is is really challenging, and we were just thrown some of the biggest seas we were to experience actually during those first few days. Um, while we're trying to get used to this whole new rhythm and routine, and and so it was it was amazing. It was incredibly challenging. Um, and in fact, I'd I'd say those first ten days were probably the most challenging that that we had. Um, we ended up having flooding. Uh, which led to a contained fire in one of the hatches on our boat where our charge controllers were kept. And in essence, we lost the use of one of our two batteries. So it was after such a short amount of time of being out there that we actually had our big decision as a team to make on whether we would continue with one battery or we would we would actually have to return and go back to shore. And we 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 had to return. So, you know, it was such a big lesson after... A short amount of time being out there that you know it was essentially we, we felt like we'd failed we had to go back to land um but it's amazing how again as I mentioned at the be- at the beginning of our chat that it's dealing with challenges and some unforeseen challenges that come up in life where where we learn the most and I think it was that return to shore that really helped us to fine-tune a lot of the equipment on the boat. Uh, we got much stronger seasickness patches to help with that seasickness for when we headed out again. Um, and it just gave us a bit more confidence because when we headed out the second time, we were actually experienced ocean rowers. You know, Although, <laughs> although we'd only been out there for, for 10 days um, rowing and then the six days that it took us to row back to land and we had to row to Santa Barbara um it really gave us that that experience and that confidence and I think quite often in life you know you do have to start again um you have to go back to the drawing board you know whether it's in business or it's in your professional in your personal life and it's that that opportunity to start again more wisely I suppose um that's the lesson that we took anyway it wasn't a failure for us it was just this wonderful opportunity to start again with a little bit more experience and a little bit more understanding of what what was to come and I think it set the tone for the rest of that journey which was challenge you know we were challenged every stroke of the way Um, our six-month journey turned into nine months and it was it was an, ama- an amazing experience. So it started off with a challenge. It ended off with a challenge, and we were challenged the whole way through. But it was magical, absolutely magical.
2: Wow! So I know in the Netflix documentary "Losing Sight of Shore," you spoke about how quickly we adapt as human beings to a situation that we put ourselves into. Mm. How did you deal with? trying to find that personal space on the boat, you know, that claustrophobic effect when you're, you know, your cabins that where you slept, you had two people in each cabin. They were the size of about a two-person tent. Um, As you mentioned, you got one of those at each end of the boat. You're rowing in the middle. There's no place to be by yourself. So that must have been extremely challenging for everyone.
0: Definitely. Um, And we were all different. So we all had our own mental demons that we have to battle. Um, for me, I, my main life's mantra has always been to enjoy the journey. Um, so I wanted to make sure that not only did I enjoy the journey, but that the whole team enjoyed the journey as well. So I would always try and make light of a lot of the situations out there. I'd always try and make the girls smile and laugh as much as I could. And for me, it was actually about being in the moment as much as possible, because I, I believe that when you're in the moment, that is your place of power. It's only when we're thinking about the future or we're concerned about things that have happened in the past that we allow that fear or doubt or uncertainty to rush into our thoughts and into our minds. And when you're in the moment, that's really the only place that you can be. And for me, I've always believed that that is your place of power. So I did my best to remain in the moment as much as I could out there on the ocean. I would really concentrate on the beauty of the surroundings that, that we found ourselves in, you know, that incredible 360 degree horizon. Um, when you really focus and pay attention, it's incredible how many different shades of blue there actually are. And I would just watch the lights on the surface of the water just glittering or dancing. And I, I just, I, I found that it was almost like a form of meditation being out there. Um, uh, the wildlife was an incredible source of um, distraction and also helped us to, to stay in the moment as well. And we had some beautiful wildlife encounters. We had whales breaching, we had sharks that followed us, um, birds, and fish were were constantly with us along the journey but i think ultimately the thing that really became the most powerful out there was that we actually have the ability to choose how we feel and i think that for me was one of the most powerful techniques that allowed me to deal with the challenges you know regardless of how frustrating our situation was you know We had many days where we would row as hard as we could and we would actually travel backwards. You know, mentally, that is incredibly demoralizing and frustrating. And, you know, if we were worrying about how long the journey was going to take us so that, you know, worrying about a a future, for example, that we don't really know what's going to happen in the future. um, I just kept myself in the moment and I just made a point to choose my attitude, not only every day, but every two hours, I would choose my attitude. And, you know, it, it's all very well, you're saying choose your attitude. And it's such a simple concept, isn't it? To decide how to feel and and to actually have that ability to choose. But it, it really is something we do have control over despite the situations that we find ourselves in. And so every two hours, I would almost reset my mindset and I would choose a, a new attitude. And if we'd had a, a very frustrating challenging two-hour shift where we'd, we'd gone backwards or we'd been um, battling huge waves I would just always start again and I'd say okay you know this two-hour shift it, it's going to be different it's going to be a positive two-hour shift and I would always try and find a highlight every day and that's something that we introduced um as a, as a strategy almost within the team so in our rowing pairs every day we would share a highlight a daily highlight and it wouldn't matter what that highlight was we just always had to make a point to look for something like anything positive every day and it could be something really simple like a beautiful sunrise or sunset it could have been a particularly interesting conversation that we'd shared on the oars during a two-hour shift Um, It could have even been something like washing your hair, you know, because washing, obviously, what wasn't that easy for us out there, especially washing your hair. And um, I actually went 68 days without washing my hair um, in the last leg of the journey. So when I washed it, it was a major highlight. So just something simple. It didn't really matter what it was as long as you were looking for some positive every day. And I think for me, that was how I dealt with that journey and, and the challenges. I would concentrate on those little things and, and celebrate those small successes along the way, rather than thinking about the negatives, thinking about how long it was gonna take us, thinking about the frustration that we were nearly running out of food because it was taking us so much longer than we thought. It would, I would just concentrate on the positives. Um, and that's how I dealt with it.
2: Because that, you know, things like, not sure if you're having enough food, could break someone pretty quickly. So having that positive mindset is so powerful and I love the aspect you're talking about there of changing it kind of every two hours. You know, you watch in life, so many people just hold on to things and they fund days and days and days and months sometimes and it's sad to see. So the ability, as you say, the power of that mind to just really switch into a positive sense can make a massive difference.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think it was something we were really good at doing as a team as well. So. I think having a very open, honest dialogue is so important um, in life, really. You know, whether it's with your family, cultivating relationships, whether it's within a team environment, just having that honesty and that openness. Um, and trust and respect, I think, are also fundamental um, characteristics. And we were all very good at that. So, trust and respect was something that I think really helped us cross that ocean as successfully as we did and then that open honest dialogue so every week we were out there on the ocean we would actually fill in questionnaires on how we were feeling mentally physically emotionally you know if we had any issues with one another if we had any issues in general um, we would constantly share how we were feeling um, even in our rowing pairs, there was that constant dialogue. So, before we headed out for a two hour rowing shift, we would always do check ins with one another to see what we wanted to do, for example, that two hour shift. So, did we want to talk and share life stories? Did we want to play word games? Did we want to, um, you know, just entertain one another by. Um, Um, narrating films which is is something that we started doing Uh, actually Izzy was the the one that started doing that Um, she was amazing she could actually narrate films word for word it was the skill that she developed out there Um, so in the two-hour rowing shift she would narrate and distract and entertain us with the recounting of Forest Gump or Lord of the Rings trilogy. I mean, it was just this amazing skill that she had. So they were great ways to help us pass the, the two hour shifts. But sometimes maybe if we weren't feeling in a particularly good space mentally, we would say, no, actually, you know, I feel like being a little bit more reflective. Um, so I'd like to listen to music or listen to an audio book. So we would always do that check in every two hours to see where each, each of us was mentally. Um, and I think that was really important because that the support that we showed one another and we were never really all down at the same time. So we had that ability to lift each other up when we needed to. And I, th- I think that was a, a really powerful part of, of how we worked together so so well as a team.
2: Yeah, so I don't wanna give away too many more insights because I'd love people to go and watch your Netflix movie, Losing Sight of Shaw, because it's a fantastic documentary. Mm. So I'm just gonna delve into a couple other things now. You know, so for you now, you you spend a lot of time empowering others to reach their potential, push through their self-limiting mental boundaries, and meet and overcome challenges that life throws at them. What do you see as the biggest constraint on people? living out their dreams and goals?
0: Um, yeah, I mean, our, our biggest tagline, actually, from from the film is that we may have crossed our literal Pacific, but um, we believe that everyone has their own Pacific to cross and their own challenges that they have to face. And I think for me, from, from experience and from my observations, that the main things that really hold people back from... You know a, achieving the the life and the dreams that, that, that they really desire and want is is a couple of things actually I think the first one is is a lack of self-belief um, and it's really surprised me um, over the the last couple of years particularly how many people actually, have that lack of self-belief um, or that imposter syndrome, as it's called. And I think it's something that we all struggle with, you know, myself included. You know, I I always have, you know, I do have my moments. But that self-belief is something that, you know, we, we don't have and get and then keep forever. I think the thing to remember um, is that we're all work in progress. And it, it's something that we are going to constantly struggle with, you know, that internal dialogue, Um, for some reason our minds do always want to run the negative it's a it's a strange thing but that apparently is how the human brain is wired so we do need to do constant work on on that believing in ourselves and I think really having the trust in yourself that you're making the right decision Um, you know trusting your intuition I think is so important a lot of people don't listen that inner voice. Um, And I think that's also very connected to what your own um, core values are in life. I think it's really important to take some time and actually understand what drives you, what motivates you, and often it will be linked to to those core values. Um, And quite often, if we do things in life that feel a little bit um, misaligned, or they don't feel quite right, it's generally speaking because they're not aligned with your values. So I think having that understanding of what your core values are and and really working on that self belief, um, and I think not being afraid of the unknown. I think a lot of people fear is what stops them from progressing in life. Whether it's you know that that promotion um, in in your career, whether it's in your personal life um fear is what stops people um and a lot of fear is is coming from because people don't like change um and again we're we're wired that way you know we're wired to to be comfortable and to be safe um and anything that presents us with change will throw us into the unknown and will will throw us into an uncomfortable space and we we don't we we rebel against that we don't really want that um and so I think think for me that the secret to that has been that I embrace change like for me, the unknown presents endless opportunities and possibilities and and it's also the place where I know that I'm going to grow and I'm going to develop. so I really encourage and embrace change and the unknown um, and I don't look at it with with fear so much um yeah does that make sense
2: oh it certainly does and i think that is you've hit the nail on the coffin kind of thing there it it is around fear it is around that self-belief that a lot of people are lacking so hopefully they can take a lot of energy out of what you're talking about today and your experiences to help inspire a few more people to to make a difference in their lives and and overcome some of those obstacles that they the self-made obstacles that they put in their mind so we all know So we all know smart people have great answers, but the best people have great questions. So when was the last time you did something for the first time?
0: Uh, um, Well, uh, we already know that I love embracing the unknown. So I I generally always try and do things that I've never done before. Um, I'm actually in Australia at the moment, spending some time with my my brother and my nephew. so it was a few days ago actually we took my nephew trampolining um it's a, a place called bounce it's this incredible facility which has lots of different types of trampolines um and that's actually something i've never done before so it was amazing and and also a, a wonderful lesson in self-belief and trust um, and no fear. It's amazing how everything repeats itself in different forms. Um, Because I think children have that wonderful ability to have no fear, don't they? I was watching my seven-year-old nephew launch himself um, off this trampoline and somersault, uh, you know, and, and for me it was a bit like, oh, you know what? I'm going to break a bone in my body. <laughs> uh, but it was so much fun. I loved it. So, yes, I went trampolining. And yesterday um, I actually planted a uh, sunflower. I've never planted, um, I'm not very good with plants. I've not got green fingers. My brother is amazing though. And he has this little garden here that he's cultivating. So he gave me a few sunflower seeds and is like, come on, you know, have you ever planted anything? And I was like, do you know what? I don't think I have ever planted anything. So I planted a couple of sunflowers. So I'm looking forward to, to watching those grow over the next few weeks.
2: If you could change one thing in the world, what would it be?
0: If I could change one thing in the world, what would it be? Um, that's a difficult question. Um Do you know, I, I have a bit of a love-hate relationship at the moment with um, with mobile phones. Um, I, I think they're incredibly important. Um, and I think they, they are helping people in so many ways, technology-wise, connect. But I think ultimately, I feel like society at the moment is the most disconnected it, it's ever been. And for me, connection is is one of the most important things in life. And I think connection comes in, in three main forms for me, you know, connecting with each other, that human connection and just treating people with, you know, with empathy and compassion and actually taking the time to really listen to one another. That was something that was highlighted dramatically for me out there on the ocean, because obviously we had a lot of time. Um, and coming back into society with everyone glued to their mobile phones, I I, I think people have, have lost that ability to to really connect and to listen to one another. Um, but I don't I, w- I wouldn't change mobile phones. Um, uh, I don't know. I think really just that ability to look for the positive. I would love everyone to have that ability. Um, you know, even if it's once a day to, to be able to really look at um, what they have in their lives and be grateful for that. Um, I think quite often we're, we're so busy looking at what we don't have than what we do have. And I think, again, you know, mobile phones, social media is, is a, a, a really perfect vehicle to make you compare yourself to a lot of people all the time and it makes you think about what you don't have or what you're not doing but quite often if we just take time to stop and reflect especially especially I think now towards the end of the year it's it's a great opportunity to stop and reflect um just just be grateful um for for what we have because I think a lot of us lead very privileged lives and we, we don't realize it I didn't really answer your question, did I? It's um, pretty good No. It's fine. I think you've done very <laughs> well. There's a bit, couple a of good of a, gems a bit there. Of a waffle there. <laughs> <laughs> so,
2: so, who has made the greatest impact on your career, and why?
0: The greatest impact on my career, um, I think I'd, I'd have to maybe change that. Um, well, actually, no. I, I, I think I'd say my, my family, to be honest, have had the greatest impact on on my career and my life really in general I think having that wonderfully supportive network that has really encouraged me to always follow my passions I think that has been the biggest gift that I I ever could have had you know they allowed me to develop that self-belief to follow a a very unusual lifestyle really um, rather than conforming and you know i think ultimately my mum was the one that sent me that advert you know to become a tour leader um uh, that really set me on my my journey of of self discovery and of this nomadic lifestyle that that i've come to love and adore so much so and i think my my father as well my father lost his leg to cancer when i was very young and he's always been this this shining example of someone that has always looked for the positive in every situation. So I think that combination of, of support and um, that ability to look for the positives, they really set me on my, my journey into life, which I then spiraled into my career because I think we should always do things that we're passionate about. And so I've always tried to make my work be my passion as well.
2: Fantastic. Well, Natalia, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. Uh, you've showed that when you put your mind to something, anything is truly possible. The resilience, the courage, the enthusiasm that you have shown throughout your career in the travel and tourism industry, and then taking on a monumental feat of rowing across the Pacific. Uh, the experiences you've had, uh, the adversity you've overcome is truly amazing. And I'm sure our listeners have taken a lot out of Um, what you have said today and hopefully everyone goes and watches the Netflix um, documentary, Losing Sight of Shore, because it's a remarkable film and for four, actually we'll make that six, amazing women (laughs) that that transversed across the ocean. Um, So thank you very much for sharing your courage, your wisdom, your belief and story with the active CEO listeners.
0: Thank you so much, Craig. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to to share some of the insights. And um, I think one thing worth mentioning is that just bear in mind that nine months has been put into 92 minutes in the documentary, (laughs) which isn't even as long as one of our two hour rowing shifts. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it was definitely an incredible journey. And thank you for allowing me to share it and some of the insights. Um, and I also just want to say a big thank you to, um, lisa pavlakos as well because um, she was one that connected us and she is an incredible woman that i think shows adversity in a, a very different way and i think that's something just to remember is that we're we are all we're, we're all crossing our own pacifics and we all have our different challenges and there's no need to compare one challenge with another you know we're, we're all just found finding our way and trying to navigate the waters of this thing that we call life um, so I just want to leave everyone with a with a final reminder just to enjoy the journey that's really all we can do just try and enjoy that journey wherever it takes you Thank you
3: the active CEO wellness tip for today is about kickstarting your day how do you do it? Do you feel exhausted, tired when you get up? How do you get going? Yeah, you know, most people feel a little bit like it's, it's difficult for exercise in their day, but you
2: know if you can try and develop a morning fitness routine when you first wake up, it helps start the
3: day nice and fresh. You, you can't avoid it. There's nothing else to distract you and stop you from doing that exercise. And unfortunately, the real answer is not to go for a cup of coffee straight up. You actually need to have some sort of health and fitness ritual or routine to help you kickstart your day. Yeah, you know, it increases your metabolism, so it gets the body processing
2: and, and feeling energized straight away. Um, as we mentioned, it avoids your unwanted distractions and it promotes those endorphins in the brain to enhance your mood, which is obviously going to have a
3: big effect when you walk into the workplace. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I mentioned um, maybe coffee's not the right thing to grab first thing in the morning. And the other thing is probably not to check your emails the very first second that you're awake on your phone.
2: Yeah, and the exercise also increases your mental capacity um, it helps improve your blood flow, supports productivity, and, and a sense of accomplishment, mm. which is you know makes a massive difference when you start that day. You know, I know the days where I don't get to exercise
3: and woke up and a bit late and I'm rushing to work. It's hard to get going. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, Craig, the number of people that we've spoken to on the Active CEO podcast um, that meditate for a few minutes before they start their day really good practice to get into also. Yep, so it's either that active meditation or it is just meditation or
2: or relaxation. Um, It is something that allows you to declutter the brain or refresh the brain and give that that reboot, I suppose, so to speak, Mm. and get the body up and moving. Mm. And clarity for the day ahead. An astonishing episode of the Active CEO podcast with Natalia Cohen today. What an amazing woman she is. Uh, she's just gone out that really nomadic lifestyle she's had from very, very young age uh, after her, her mom insisted that she look at travel industry as a career and moving overseas. She so many life lessons and some so much of it can be used in the business world. Uh, I like the aspect that of you have the choice how you feel. OK, so it's not just dependent on what's in your head or what other people are thinking you have the choice to how you feel at that moment and that day. And she would check in every couple of hours, which is really, really interesting. She talked about the challenges and dealing with the unknown and and how powerful that is, especially uh, in some of the countries she was in and some of the challenges she was faced. You know, we talked also about um, how important the mind is over controlling the whole body and an incredible connection between mind and body. She, you know, we went on to talking about her epic adventure across the Pacific Ocean. You know, rowing with six females she'd never, ever met before. And what was fascinating about that is only one had ever rowed before. The, their whole, um, the way that the team was built, the, the different tests they had to go through from military-style tests to individual and team psychology... And talking about understanding the motivations of each person that was going to be rowing. Yeah, so, so powerful. It's not just the combined dream, it is what individually everyone wants. And that's so important in the business sense as well. You know, if you don't understand what your employees' motivations are, it doesn't matter how good your strategic plan, it doesn't matter how good your team building is, you've got to know what motivates them. Because if they're not motivated to do it individually, then they're only going to give a certain percentage of what they really could give. So you had to find that. We, we delved into some of the, the challenges they face while on that boat. You know, talking about, uh, you know, when, when the boat, they had, had the issues inside the boat where the electronics failed and they had the little fire and they had to go back and reset again. You know, how often in life do you come up against a brick wall and have to reset and start again? And you're so much wiser when you do that. It's important. It, it's not you are failing in life. It is, you know, sometimes we just make a choice that doesn't quite work or we haven't quite figured out that puzzle yet. So some very, very powerful insights. So, um, so just a, a phenomenal episode and uh, it, it's worth sharing. So make sure you share it, whether it be social media, tell a friend to get in and subscribe on the podcast so they receive them every week when we send them out on a Tuesday. This is the Active CEO podcast, where the ordinary don't belong.
1: Join the Active CEO movement by visiting www.nrgtoperform.com. That's nrg2perform.com. Share this podcast on LinkedIn and be sure to tag in NRG to perform. Leave a review on iTunes. Drop us a line with your feedback and questions and connect with us on the NRG to perform Facebook and Instagram pages. Be sure to check out the next Active CEO podcast where the ordinary don't belong.